Well, good, good, good fall, not so fall morning. It's so weird, right? Like, man, this is my favorite time of year. I love the bite in the air. I love the turning of leaves and everything else. And this year it's like, like I think fall was on Thursday and that was it, right? Like it rained a little bit. There was like that bite in the air. You could put on a sweatshirt and then Friday rolled in and it's just back to kind of a carcinogen-laid hellscape of smoke and heat. You know, I'm like, I think I got gypped, man. I really do. So I love the changing colors and right now they're just going from green to brown dead fall like that's it man but good things are happening in the fall season so last sunday the seahawks won that was rad thursday the broncos lost that was rad mariners two games boom and i want to confess there's like mariners fans around here that you all have been in it for a long time i'm a bandwagon guy like i'm like 162 games is a lot i'll wait till the ncl goes but watch the games that was sixth inning one eight we came back ten nine that was cool so and then today seahawks wednesday the kraken it's their opening season game all kinds of cool stuff going on but we're not here to talk about sports though seattle sports got some cool stuff going on we are here to talk about how jesus meets real life and that's what the series we're doing right now is all about and and i i really love this kind of series i mean don't get me wrong i'm a theological nerd i love getting in the weeds of deep thoughts and stuff like that But what I love about a series that's down-to-earth and practical like this is that it reminds us that uh, contrary to some of the criticism that we might hear sometimes about the Bible, that it's old, it's archaic, it's not relevant, I go, man, when you really start reading through it, you find that there are a lot of things in the Bible that directly impacts our daily living, our daily sense of sensibility, and gives us coaching and guidance for life because it's a wonderful student of human nature and a wonderful guide to lead us into being better people and being connected to God. And then from that, hopefully showing the world that life is better with Jesus and in a real daily practical sort of way. And so today's topic is true to that whole idea. In fact, in preparing this particular talk, uh, this is not an exaggeration. This isn't like the pastor fish story where I'm making more of a statement than what it is. Literally, in looking at the talk, uh, I read well over a hundred passages in the Bible on the subject matter of today. And, And I think there are actually probably double or triple that many passages about the subject. So when you see that much content on one single topic, you realize that's kind of a mandate. It's probably something for us to learn from and probably adjust to. And so uh, I'm going to get us right underway here with a word of prayer. But before I do, I want to remind you we have an app. In the app, there are notes that you can follow along with, you can refer to later. If you don't have our app, you can just simply go to whatever your app store is, type in Redemption Church Duval, you'll find it there, you can download it, all kinds of resources are in there. Uh, And so that way, again, you just have like a one-stop shop to get everything you need. So I'm going to pray, we're going to jump right in, we're going to get underway. So let's go ahead and if you would join me, that would be great. Jesus, I, I thank you that you are the God who cares about our daily lives. It's not just simply that our faith is this thing that is internalized and is sort of extra spiritual, and, and that's maybe the only little corner of our existence that it really taps into. No, you're like, man, I want to be in your everyday and every way. I want to saturate your life, and Jesus, I thank you for that. And so just as much as we know that life is better with you, I pray that we will see how you are better in all the little nooks and crannies of life, especially in a series like this one. So we ask for your guidance. We ask for your grace. I I think especially uh, as we kind of navigate today, I know that there are going to be many of us that have different wounds in different ways that we have to work through. And I pray that this is like a balm, like a healing even in that process, as much as it's helping us to become better versions of ourselves, knowing that we are created in your image to really represent you, reflect you, and be like you in the world. So again, help us. Just help us out here. May your Holy Spirit be a, a, a great resource in shaping our lives. And so, Jesus, we look to you, we love you, we need you, and we thank you in your good and kind name. Amen. So, the subject of the day, and Jesus meets real life, is that of communication. Yes, how we talk, how we listen, how we interact, how we connect, how we debate, how we navigate this really challenging topic. And it's challenging for all of us. And I I think part of the challenge is just when you look at the definition, it's a beautiful definition, 
right? And it kind of encapsulates perfectly what communication is all about. In fact, I want to give you this working sense of what it is. It says communication, and it's going to be on the screen here, is a two-way process of reaching mutual understanding in which participants not only exchange information, news, ideas, and feelings, which is encoding and decoding, which sounds really fancy, but that's really what we're doing, but it also in this creates shared meaning. In general, communication is a means of connecting people or places, right? So there's your kind of dictionary definition. And if we kind of emphasize some of the words in this definition, I want you to notice this idea of what we're engaging in with our speech or talk is this two-way process that's designed to reach mutual understanding, to create a shared meaning and context of life and how we understand and interact with one another. It's this idea of connecting people, right? When you drill that down for such a, for a minute here and you kind of think about this, I go, this would be fantastic if it were that simple right? Like the definition, I go, man, this is perfect. But the application of the definition, this is very hard for us. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I started really kind of pondering this more. It's strange that, that we have such a challenge with that, because if there's any group of people ever in human history that should really be nailing this, it would be us, right? We're one of the most powerful nations the world has ever seen. We're the most affluent. We're the most connected, the most technological. I mean, think about this simple device right here. For me, it's really a picture portfolio of my grandbabies, which I love that. That's just right there. But this device, think about the level of communication it offers us. You can email with it. You can text with it. You can find your exact GPS location on the planet with it. Back in the day, we used these things called maps, but now you got this, right? It has the capacity to translate language. So if you meet somebody from some other part of the world, you simply pull out an app and you can start conversing with this. If you have some question about physics, biology, mathematics, you go on here and you can find it in just a millisecond. If you want to fix your car and appliance, YouTube can solve all of your nightmares. It's all in this space. And if you're in a real deep pinch, it's also a phone. It's incredible, right? So, so this device, man, you would think with that level of communication ability, we would be awesome. But then you go a step deeper. We have the margin to communicate unlike any time in human history. Like, it's not so far back in time. Uh, people would get up before the sun rose. They would labor all day long. The sun would set. They would eat dinner, and they'd go to bed because it was expensive to burn candles and wicks and everything else. And so you were so busy just staying alive. Unless you were the aristocracy or really well off, you just didn't have time to communicate. But now we have all this time, right, to, to be able to interact in these ways. And then we're given tools to be able to communicate better. So we have TED Talks and podcasts and books. I, I can learn your love language. It's one of five. And I can be so equipped to know then exactly how to love you. And then we have counselors and therapists that try to coach us in all of these things. We have HR departments trying to get us to get along in the workplace. We have a PC environment that says, man, don't say this. Do say that. It's going to get you in trouble. So we should be well, well equipped. And yet for all of that, we know that good communication is elusive. Inc.com uh, had this recent stuff that, that said about $37 billion a year is lost in the corporate world just to bad communication in the workplace. And some of you are like, yeah, I know I work there, you know. I get that one. But it's not just in work. Think about our politics and our social climate right now. The brokenness of communication in social media, or you watch the left and the right, the R and the D. They can't manage to communicate very well at all. They're on completely different planets sometimes, trying to figure out how to solve problems. So it feels like the problems are bigger, not smaller, leading in wrong directions, not right directions. But our problems with communication, they, they get even closer to home. Last week, we talked about how Jesus meets married life. Well, in married life, communication's hard. 
when we look at like brokenness in marriages, divorce, separation, conflict, nine times out of ten, what is recorded is there is a breakdown in the way we, we interact with one another as husbands and wives. We misread others, each other, we, we push the wrong buttons, we assume the wrong things, there's just all this brokenness, and that brokenness then cascades down to our kids, the kids watch mom and dad fight, argue, debate, whatever else, and then that creates a tense environment in the home. Like, we look at the mental health of kids today, and they're like, man, there's greater rates of depression, anxiety, discouragement, aimlessness. And I go, no wonder. They live in a world where there's constantly this barrage of broken communication. And then from that, what happens? As mom and dad are bickering, then the kids begin to bicker, and then mom and dad bicker with the kids, and the kids bicker with mom and dad. Sometimes dad gets pushed so far, he says the things to the kid that just, just anchors their soul in a negative way. Or, or mom says something, and it just devastates the psyche of a child. And then the kids learn this, so they start to learn, man, I know exactly what to say to mom and dad that really wound them and hurt them. Right? So we see it all over the place. And maybe even if you think about as you were growing up, right? where you were maybe picked on or bullied or a teacher said something to you and it just, it just wiped you out. It just kind of gave you a definition of yourself and now you played this thing in your head all the time. You were too tall. You were too short. You're too skinny. You're too fat. You had four eyes. You had carrot top hair, right? Any number of things. I know I ran in a friend group, and for whatever reason, we were all friends, but there was kind of this, this real barbed sense of humor in our friend group, and there was always that one guy you kind of, kind of piled on, where it was almost like, you know, we never thought we were bullying him, but all we were doing is bullying him. But we just thought it was funny, it was sarcasm, whatever else. And, and I know for me, that's a tough one. My spiritual gift in the negative is charismata sarcastios, the gift of sarcasm, right? Like, like in Greek, that's what it would be. And sometimes it just, it can be really wounding. So we all understand this, we all get this. In fact, while in many ways the old line with sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, most of us were like, you know what, I healed from my sticks and stones wounds a long time ago. But there are words, names, statements, uh, barragements, whatever it is, and those have stayed a lifetime. Where you have a broken spirit a little bit, or there's this topic in your life that you deal with, your appearance, your intellect, your perspectives. You were told you're weird, you were odd, you were strange, you weren't wanted, whatever it might be. All those things are damaging. See, what all of that reminds me of is this first point, if you're taking notes with us this morning. And it's this idea that words, our words and the words of others, are the most powerful force in the universe. Legitimately, they're the most powerful force. Now, it's kind of fun um, uh, in, like, evolutionary theory. I love studying evolutionary theory. I'm a science nerd. I dig all of it. And inside that theory, uh, there is a challenge when it comes to language where they're not sure how it developed, right? So they look and they go, it seems that the part of the brain that listens is very different than the part of the brain that speaks, which is different than the part of the brain that processes. And when they have this debate, it's like this epic rap battle of atheists, like trying to decide how could language emerge in the atheist mindset under evolutionary theory. And they go, it really, it's so problematic, they don't know how. But as a theist, I go, well, I know how we learn language. I know where this comes from. Because when I read the Bible, I see God is a God who communicates. We believe that our God is a God of oneness in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Trinity communicates. They interact. And we are made in the image of God, and so we are made to interact as well. We're made to speak, we're made to listen, we're made to process. And it's a powerful thing. Like if we look at our roots being from God and how God's communication is powerful, we see it starts in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And in this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and then God said, just with mere words, let there be light. And so what we understand from creation flows from God's spokenness. He can create with words. When you read through the Bible, we see that he can also destroy with words. So destruction and creation exist in the power of words. We jump into the New Testament, John chapter 1. It's kind of the mirror to Genesis chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we understand this to be Jesus. The Word is Jesus. 
And through Jesus, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. So, so what we see is the, the, the word of God the Father, the word of God the Son, all working through the Holy Spirit, again, creates, establishes, builds. Flourishing flows from that. Right? And if we're made then in God's image, our words also then have power. Now, maybe I can't just speak things out of nothingness, but I can speak things into this world that either can create or destroy. Because we have this unique link to this power that God has. In fact, Solomon said it this way, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Right? And, and this is so valuable as a place to start because we start to understand that, oh yeah, what I say isn't just something I say. No, what I say in this world, what I say every day, what I say in my heart and in my mind, what I let come out of my mouth, those things can either bring beauty and love and grace and encouragement and empowerment because they're powerful things, these words. Or they can bring hurt and decay and frustration and bitterness and a sense of death in this life based on what I say. See, that's weighty suddenly. What this means for us is the second thing in your notes. We must take our words seriously. We must take them seriously because they can either strengthen or destroy people's lives. And, and let me give you just an anecdotal proof of this. Uh, we live in a really weird time because everybody can give their opinions on the internet and they're instantly there and people can pile on in rapid ways. So we have this thing called cancel culture right now, right? Cancel culture is the perfect articulation of how words can destroy. So somebody says something, does something, and the online mob decides, you know what, that's worthy of your social death. So we're going to, with mere keystrokes, burn your life to the ground. We haven't vetted what you said. We aren't sure you did it. It's anecdotal. It's kind of thin at best. But we're going to decide that you did it. You're wrong. You need to die. And so in an afternoon, a person's career can be wiped out. They can be removed from their job. Their reputation's destroyed just with words. Not a gun, not a knife, not a bomb. Not, just, just words wipe out a person's world. It's that simple. It's that quick. It's that swift. And I think about that, and I go, you know, most of us, if we're sensible in any way, wouldn't, like, wave around a loaded gun, right? We kind of know, like, you don't ever point at anything you're not prepared to destroy. That's one of the rules in firearm safety, but for whatever reason, we don't always have a, a sense of that kind of control with, with what we say and with our mouths. Like, we don't think about our mouths as a loaded weapon, but they are. In fact, in Proverbs Chapter 12, verse 18. It says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Right? And, and, and I don't know about your world, but I, I know in my world that growing up, you know, there, there was words that were said. There was criticisms that were leveled as an impressionable young person by people in authority over my life or parental influence or whatever else. And it's like those things just mere seconds, probably words that most of those people don't even remember. For me, I'm going to be 52 here just in the next couple of months, and, and I go, I'm at this point in my life, and I'm still haunted by those things. Those sword thrusts, probably forgotten to them, profoundly remembered by me. It, it kind of wrote into my soul the battles that I, I face, the demons that I fight, the, the, the things that are insecurities in me. Right? So, so this is why we go, this is how hefty and serious this is. Now here's also a sad reality that I just simply confess, and, and it's what I know about myself. And it's that there have been times, either in my fatigue, my frustration, or my fear, that I have said things to others and saddled their life with burden that they didn't ask for and they didn't deserve. Like, I've spoken things into my kids that I've gone back and said, I was wrong, will you forgive me? But it left a mark. I've said things to my wife that even though she's been able to move past and I've said, forgive me, and she's forgiven me, it doesn't mean it doesn't leave a scar. There's been things I've said as a pastor that I go, why did I say that? I'm ashamed that I said that. 
And so when we're all candid with ourselves, we know that we've been hurt, we know that we've inflicted hurt, and therefore we want to say, it's in my jurisdiction as I move forward to get better in this discipline. In other words, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is I don't want us to excuse maybe some of the things we do or some of the things we say or how we say it, but rather to take ownership of it. Because when you talk about this, sometimes people say, you know what, Matt, though, that's just me. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I roll. It's the way I talk. Or some people say, you know what, I just say stupid stuff. It falls on my face, and what are you going to do? My favorite is when people say, I'm just blunt. I'm just frank. No, you're just mean in your blunt and frankness. Or the one I'm guilty of, as I shared, it's, hey, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding with you. I'm just messing with you. It's no big deal. Why are you suddenly taking this so seriously that I told a joke at your expense that hurt you? Why are you so freaked out now? You know, they, like, like I should be offended by that or something like that, you know? Or people say, you know what? Everybody knows I don't mean it. I say stuff, I don't mean it. Or I get angry and everything else, but you know, it's just, it's a part of my personality type. Like all of that is just excuses. Now, they may be real, they may be a challenge for us, it may take some of us more discipline than others, but, but we don't want to just kind of whitewash what we do. In fact, we want to put things in perspective with this little passage here in Proverbs chapter 6. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates. And then he says, no, wait, there's seven things that he detests, that he thinks are the worst of the worst. And when you look at those seven things that are listed, three of those have to do with our communication. And I, and I, I love this here because I, I think there's two reasons why this is important. One is it kind of grinds our gears. And it grinds our gears because if we were all given a pop quiz, what do you think are the most detestable things in the eyes of God? What are the things, like some versions say, there are seven abominations. What are the abominations that God really gets heated up about and says, you humans, you're always doing this? We'd probably have a huge laundry list, but would we put in there of the top seven that three are what we say? Probably not. We'd probably be pointing at everybody else. They do this and they do that and they drink the blood of puppies and you know, whatever our thing would be. But here it's like, oh, wait, I, I better be on notice. Because when it grinds our gears, it then demands our attention. It demands our attention. In fact, in James chapter one, he says this. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. Like I read that and that freaks me out and here's why it freaks me out. Um, it's amazing how often I'll, like, I'll go on social media and I'll see Christians posting the meanest stuff. Like just saying some of the most kind of cold, callous, uncaring, ridiculous things. You know, like, hey, we don't even care you're going to hell. We think it's funny, and here's a meme about it. Like, you know, like, it's just crazy to me where I'm like, that just shows how worthless our religion is if we can't control what we say. And think about the fact that when we say things, we should be really revealing our brand. And the brand of the Christian faith is grace. That's the brand of our faith. But I sometimes see, like, public well-known pastors and preachers and authors and everything else, and they're saying things where I'm like, man, you, you sound so barbed, you sound so cold, you sound so proud. Who would want this? It's just showing that a religion is, is worthless. At least that's how it's going to be interpreted. And, and so from these kinds of things, I go, man, we need to really slow down and, and focus on what matters most. And I think to do that really means going into this next part in your notes. To temper our words starts with taming our hearts. If we're really going to temper our words, we have to tame uh, our, our, our hearts. We have to deal with what's going on in there. Now, I say temper our words because, you know what, we're never going to do this perfectly. Let me just help you. If anybody's like, I'm going to start mastering what I say today, you can't master it. And I didn't say it. Actually, James says it. He says, indeed... We all make many mistakes. And I go, yes, I do. He says, but if we can control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could also control ourselves in every other way. So he's just letting us know up front, like, hey, uh, you got to work on this. This is a serious thing. You're never going to just ace this thing. We get it, but you have to put some energy and effort into it because it's very hard to master these things, right? It's hard. And so we have to give it our focus. 
And in this focus, what we want to realize is when it comes to what we say, it doesn't start in the lungs, press past the larynx, over the tongue, and into thin air, and words are created. That's not where words begin. Words begin in our interior. Words begin in our thought process, in our perspectives, in our attitudes, right? That's always the birth of words, according to the Bible. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 4, he talks about this idea of heart and life and words. He says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And then what's he immediately say? Based on this, put away from you all crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now we read that and we kind of just go, yeah, that's a really pithy thing. I should put that on a bumper sticker and knit it on a pillow and that would be great and moving on. But slow it down. The first thing he says is keep your heart with all vigilance. Like, like more than your home, right? Like you guard your home, you guard your savings and portfolio, you guard your stuff. He says what's more precious to, to you than all of that, than your savings and security and your health, is your heart. He says above all else, you pour the energy into protecting that thing because that thing what? Controls what happens in your life. From your heart flows the stuff that dictates not only your life, but the lives of those around you. Right? So much of what this talks about is not simply us, but it's how we affect others. So from this, he's like, okay, you got to watch the heart. And watching the heart, it's going to dictate everybody's life around your life. And then immediately he says, so watch out for what you say. Put away crooked and divisive talk. But if you string that out, the talk is going to come back to how it affects lives, which is coming from the heart. So the attitudes we have about people dictate these things. So if your attitude is, I don't like people, it's probably going to affect what you say. Right? And, and I know this because there's people that tell me, I don't like people. And I go, yeah, I can tell. You're telling me. <laughs> you know, like, no, most people keep it to themselves, but some people are like, nah, I doesn't like people. Okay, thanks. We all know now to watch out for you. All right. Or if you're impatient with certain types of people, right? If you're impatient with the talkers or you're impatient with the askers or you're impatient with the, the busybodies or whatever it is, like if you're impatient with certain people, your words toward those people are gonna come out in that way. If you're distrusting or you think the worst or you're critical, it's gonna come out. If you're an angry person and you struggle with anger, your words are quickly gonna turn to angry words because that's what's going on inside you. Or if you're maybe a person who's proud, your words are going to sound proud. But you're never going to say, I'm proud. You're going to say, I'm right, and everybody else is stupid. But it's the same thing, right? It's still this, I, I just think I'm better. And so this is why the heart is so critical, because our words are symptomatic of an internal condition. Jesus speaks to this, and it's a masterful kind of articulation of what this issue is. And it's kind of the mirror to what Crystal read this morning in our passage it says this in Matthew chapter 12. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. And then he says, you brood of snakes. Which, by the way, he again is talking to religious people. I believe in God and believe in the Bible and they're under the covenant of God and they're the elect nation of Israel and everything else. And he goes, but you guys are missing the boat here. And so he says, how can evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And then this is the worst one right here. He says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or they will condemn you. See, when I read this, every time I read that, I go, and now I want to take a vow of silence. I just want to shut up for the rest of my life. Because this morning I was going over this and I was thinking about that, and because I'm a nerd, I'm like, I should do that calculation really quick. And so I was looking up the data points, and so contrary to opinions that men only have 5,000 words and women have 20,000 words per day, that's a myth that floats around. I've promoted that myself. I found out that actually men have about 15,800 words a day, women about 16,300 words per day, right? So that's about how many words we speak. And then how many days do we live on average? 27,375 days. So you do the math. 
your odds of saying something idle or evil or unhealthy, unhelpful, unloving, or unkind. I don't know the full odds, but you and I will speak about 438 million words by the time we die. Probably going to have a couple hundred in there we got to give an account for, right? Maybe per day. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's amazing, right? And so in that, I, there's a few things I think about with this. The first is this, like, like a lot of terrible words have been sown into us as human beings. And, and what this is kind of in part saying is the terrible words that have been sown in, you got to reject those. You've been told lies. You've been criticized. You've been beat down maybe by some people. You feel like there's things you've been told you are this, and you're not that in the sight of God. And you need to kick that stuff out because somebody else is going to give an account for how they broke you down. Right? So that's one component. I think another component is we probably all have people in our life and we know who these people are. They're there to be our advisors and they give the worst advice. Right? Where they encourage the bad in you. They encourage vindictiveness and getting even and gossip and all of these things. Kind of excise not those people, but excise their ability to speak those things into you. Because again, those are idle and destructive things that you don't want, and you don't want to worry about giving an account. But then the third thing about this, I think, is, man, this is what's on the final exam. Like, one day we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to be like, all right, let's talk it out, Matt. You talked a lot. In fact, your job is to talk. You're in bigger trouble, bro. That's why I joked with Ellen. I said, there is a certain kind of fantasy in me that one day God's like, I release you from this. And I'm like, I will never speak again on the authority of God. That would be awesome. I feel you. I understand. She's like, no, I know. This guy, let him know. He's got to hold back his words, all right? But it's pressure. It's pressure. And so knowing that there's that kind of strain, that kind of like accountability, I, I go, man, I want to really be self-aware. I want to rightly orient my words as much as possible. And so how do we do that? Right, now that we've got all of the hefty, like, oh, okay, we're going to give an account, and oh, yeah, words can be destructive, and oh, yeah, this is a serious thing, and oh, yeah, God really cares about it. What do we do? I'm going to give you some tools. I'm going to give you tools to temper the tongue. But here's the thing about these tools that I think we have to understand that's important. Uh, tools are things that you have to use on a regular basis to get better at them, Right? So, for example, if you're somebody that, that likes to go to the shooting range and you like sport shooting and everything else, you only get proficient at that the more you go and do it. You can't just, like, go once a year and that's it and you're going to be awesome. It doesn't work that way. Or if you like to be a woodworker or you like to throw pots or you like to be an artist, a painter, whatever, it's this practice that you have to use the tools over and over and over again to really be proficient. So when I give you these tools today, it can't be like we all go, hey, I learned some stuff today, and then we forget to apply it within three weeks. Now, we have to kind of come back to these and remember this. And then the other thing about this is that these tools, they apply to all the different contexts in which we communicate. So when you send a text, when you send an email, when you post on social media, when you post on social media, when you post on social media, like, like do yourself a favor, you know? When you're talking on the phone, when you're hanging out with friends, whatever it is, when you're dealing with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your siblings— Try to remember these tools. Here's the first tool. Listen better than you lecture. Listen better than you lecture. Be a hearer more than you're trying to focus on how you give a retort or you respond or you retaliate even in what you say. Proverbs 18, 13. Spouting off before listening to all the facts is both shameful and foolish. And this is so good because, again, remember our, our definition of communication at the beginning? A two-way process of reaching mutual understanding. That's the place we want to be. And it's so easy, especially in the heat of the moment, right? Like somebody's saying something to you that you kind of get in the space of, you're not really listening to them. You're just finding the weakness in their argument so you can reply, right? And that's a bad space to be. So what we want to do instead is try to, as best as we can, kind of get a grip on ourselves and be like, I want to understand where they're coming from. So maybe you ask clarifying questions. Like, okay, you said this. Is this what I'm to understand? Is this, is this what you're meaning? Is this how I said this or did this? Because you want to really kind of connect with them in such a way that the goal is healing or helpfulness or unification, it's not about you protecting you. It's about you connecting with them so together you can have something helpful. 
One of the things I've learned over the course of time, especially in my marriage with Ellen, is that there are times where I am feeling things and I'm wrestling with things and there's probably 10 things behind that and now I'm talking to her and I'm not bringing it out very well. And she does a great job instead of just reacting to my bumbling communication to be like, okay, so what are you getting at here and where's this coming from? And how? Like what she does is she helps me work through my emotions as I talk. So instead of, again, instantly just reacting, she's like, okay, I'm trying to coach you through all of the stuff that you're feeling so we can kind of understand what the problem is and from that we can then address the problem together. Some of this requires just thinking the best or at least not thinking the worst as you're dealing with this, right? Sometimes it means taking a person at their word and then from that you're trying to figure out the best course of action through that. You don't always have to have a word right in the moment but kind of just pausing and taking it in. See, I find sometimes I can take things personal really quick. Instead of being personable and personal, I just take it personally. And it's having to learn that discipline of slowing down. In fact, Proverbs 17, 27 is so great. It says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Like, that's the person I want to be. Right? I just want to be chill, bro. Because I can go salsa level and then some really fast. I can just inside, just, I can feel it, I can heat it up. Doesn't, doesn't serve anything. What this means is the second little tool that we have. Chew before you spew. Right? I've said this one many times as a church, and this goes all the way back to the genesis of my marriage. Early on, especially early on in me being a pastor, after Sunday mornings, we'd get in the car and I'm like, honey, how did it go? And she would say, you really need to chew up your words before you spit them out. And I'm like, why? Oh, what I said was awesome. She's like, no, what you said is gonna get you five emails tomorrow. That's what you did. In fact, my family a few years back uh, bought me this for Christmas. I prefer to not think before speaking. I like being as surprised as everyone else by what comes out of my mouth. This, and I, I've, I've shown this before, right? Like th- th- this was just like, and it was when they found it at the store, they're all showing it to one another. And it wasn't like, hey, should we get this for dad? They're all like, that's dad. You know, like it wasn't even like a debate. Like it wasn't for grandpa. It was always, it's dad, right? And for the longest time, here was, here's my sin. Here, I'm confessing my sin. This was a badge of honor to me. Like, that's right, I'm the guy that will say what nobody else will say. Yeah, I'm awesome. Not stupid is what I was. Stupid. And, and there was this time uh, Dana Jones, our children's director, came into the office, and she's like, oh, yeah, that sign, I forgot about that. That's totally you. And I said, but I'm getting better. To which she said, yeah, you actually are. So I'm like, I don't know what that says about me in the past, but, you know, but it, 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 and here's the story behind it. Um, I, I was working on a degree for organizational leadership, and I had to do this big thing on my personality profile and how I lead. And one of the things that came out in that is that I use my words to shame and punish others who disagree with me. And I'm like, you're stupid, bro. Like, that was my response, shaming the person that tells me this, right? So I'm like, you're stupid, bro. And I'm like, how do I do that? And they said, well, you use sarcasm. So you don't, you're not a bitey person. You don't chop their head off. You don't chew them out. But when somebody disagrees with you, you use sarcasm to put them in their place so they don't continue to push against you. And I'm like, well, I'm just being friendly in the moment. I'm just cutting the air, man. I'm like, no, you're not. You're using it as a weapon. And, and so from that, I'm like, I really need to chew before I spew. Proverbs 15:28. the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking, but the mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. And and I just had to take some ownership of that. And I'm still growing. And I still fail, but I'm trying to get better. So here's some things I try to run through in my own life. Here's one thing you might ask yourself when you're in a moment. Do I really mean what I'm about to say? Do I really mean this? And if you mean something that's bad, maybe you should go and find a counselor and be like, I feel this way. Is, Is this healthy? Is this right? Is this good? Do you mean what you're, say, what you're about to say? And, and I'll tell you why this is important. It tends to be the people that we're closest to, husbands, wives, kids, family members, siblings, whatever it is, those seem to be the people we will say the cruelest things to. It's super odd, isn't it? Like we go, these are the most important people in my life, so I, I feel more reckless abandon. So do I really mean what I'm about to say, asking that question? If you're about to say something, ask yourself, if I say this, is it going to help 
or is it going to hurt? You go, well, it's going to help me, but hurt them. Well, that probably isn't good. Especially if the motive is, I kind of want to hurt them a little bit. Here's another one. If somebody was saying to me what I'm saying to them, would I take it well? The tone, the temperament, right? How about this one? If my, my words were recorded and somebody played it to me tomorrow, would I be embarrassed or ashamed? There's been times, like Ellen and I had this ridiculously dumb argument the other night over nothingness. It was like so stupid. Like 30 seconds in, there was this part of my brain that's like, Matt, this is on you. You're doing this. You were picking a dumb, dumb thing that doesn't even apply to anything. You have a moment to change. And I'm like, no, damn the ramparts. You know? And just down the road, right? Just ridiculous. Just totally stupid, ridiculous. And Ellen's like, I wish I could record this and play it to you. I'm like, I'm so glad you didn't, you know? Because it's just dumbness. So how would I hear this, right? My favorite is when people say, you know what? Though in the moment, I can't help it. We just get spun up, and I can't stop. You absolutely can. You can, because you do it all the time, actually, right? So you're in the car. The kids are crazy. You're pulling into Starbucks. You're going to order a coffee. Everybody's yelling. You're yelling at them. Sit down. Shut up. I don't need to. You're your father's kids. You're not my kids, you know? And then you pull up to the window, roll down the window. You're like, hello. I like a karma macchiato for this wonderful day, you know? It's like that. We can shut it down, man. Everybody's fighting in the car. You come to church. Shut up. We're going to worship Jesus. Get out of the car. Go to children's ministry. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Right? We all do it, right? You can be in a fight with your spouse and a phone call comes, you gotta take it, like, shut up, we're gonna finish this later. Hello? I mean, it's all the same stuff. We have the power to shut it down. It's just we oftentimes don't choose to shut it down, right? And so we have to go, okay, gotta get some self-discipline, gotta get some focus, gotta say it's that important because God says it's important. Whether it's spouse, family, friends, work, whatever, we can do it. Here's another tool when it comes to communication. Be clear and be kind. I, I say be clear and be kind because here's a lesson learned. Oftentimes, the clear people aren't kind and the kind people aren't clear, right? So you have kind people that are going, I don't like confrontation. I don't like any of that. So what they do is they use body language or, 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 or they use like, hey, read my signs, read the room, right? Or, or just they give little hints. They have expectations, but they don't share them. And then if you're the person that's like, I'm a be kind person, but you don't say things, you can't be angry at the other person that they haven't understood what it is that you're clairvoyantly wanting them to mind read, right? It can't just be that. You have to bring clarity to it. But at the same time, the clear people, they sometimes can be like, here's the truth. If you don't like it, too bad. They were very clear. And I go, no, you got to merge kindness with your clarity, Right? Because clarity can be helpful, but clarity can be wounding. Like, you ever meet people who say, you know, I like it when people are just straight shooters. No, you don't. Nobody really likes a straight shooter that's just a straight shooter. I've sat down with people who are like, I'm going to shoot straight with you, and then like 30 minutes later, I got seven bullet holes in my chest verbally. It's like, well, that's a nice grouping. Well done, you know? Um, but man, it did not help me to like move to the next level in a positive way. And so you have to bolt all of these together. Paul says in Ephesians 4, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words can be an encouragement to those who hear them. You should circle that. Good, helpful, encouragement, not abusive. Like, I grew up in a home that was both physically and verbally abusive. I have no internal baggage from the physical side. I just don't. But abusive language, boy, that can really stick. And so I go, I don't want to be guilty of that, right? I want to be thoughtful, right? Especially in sensitive conversations. That has to go to the next tool, which is seek to make a difference versus seek to make a point. Right? It's easy to want to just score points from my side in some kind of difficult time, but no, I want to make a difference. That's the key, right? Because I said this last week, like if you have something that's just really weighing on you, and you go, I just got to get this off my chest, but you do it in such a way that it just throws weight on the other person's chest, then they're going to feel the pressure, and they're just going to want to throw weight back at you, right? Instead, you want to get the relationship back on the rails, Proverbs 16, the wise are known for their understanding. And pleasant words are what? Persuasive. See, persuasion is where we want to be. From a wise mind comes wise speech. That goes back to the heart. 
kind of focusing on what is really important. And then the words of the wise, then they're going to be persuasive. So that's what we want to do. When you're in a conflict with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your siblings or your coworkers or your neighbors or whatever it is, instead of you unleashing, you're like, man, I got to get to a solution. I got to find the words that are the wisest and the best to do that. I get it isn't always going to work, but as much as it depends on us, we want to try to live at peace with all people. Paul encourages that. And so that's what we want to do as well. And here's a freebie because you came. When it comes to these really delicate conversations where you want to, to make an impact and not just make a point and everything else, uh, when it comes to the most delicate stuff, the way you don't want to do that is in the written form. In other words, what we tend to want to do when there's a conflict with a person is we go, I'll write a letter. I'll send an email. I'll write a text. One of the really heartbreaking ones I've seen is when people go to social media to scold their friends or family on social media so everybody else gets to watch the scolding, right? All of that is very unhealthy. And here's why. Here's why I'm an advocate that says never send that as an email or never write the letter or whatever else. It's because tone can't be read very well. Right? So you might write, write this really great letter trying to outline the problems and you're putting in like hearts and emoji smiley faces and a unicorn and you know whatever it is you want to put in there. And then you hit send and it gets to the other person and whatever inflection and intensity and attitude you had, I guarantee you they will not read that. They're, they're, if there's friction, they're going to read it from the perspective of you say something you think is like, praiseworthy and they're going to be like how condescending right have you ever done that like you just can't help it like they'll, they'll say i know you thought this and you're like oh so they think they're smarter than me now you know it's like like that's the problem and so this is where if you have to have those conversations do it over the phone do it in person do it face to face where tone inflection attitude body language at some level can be read I mean, this is why years ago, I stopped responding to emails that had questions or had some concerns. I stopped responding to those in written form like 10 plus years ago. And I send like a personal podcast every time, like a personal note verbally. Because again, it lets you know heart and tone and disposition and demeanor and all of those things are incredibly value in the context of these things. And so this is why I think Jesus said, if you know somebody has an issue with you, go to them versus he says, you know somebody has an issue with you, hit send. Like he didn't say that. Put a stamp on it and put it in the mail. Like, you know, go to them. Solve it. Here's the fifth thing. When it comes to these problems, say what you're supposed to say, not what you want to say, and then pray about your crappy attitude. Right? I mean, I get it. We all go, I know what I want to say, but don't say that thing. Say what you should say. Right? What you should say. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Right? Say good things to those who are in your face, those who maybe even want to wreck your life. But notice he says there, those who persecute you. These are active, like, deterrents in your life that are trying to make your life bad. He goes, man, bless those people. Go out of your way to do the right thing, to do the good thing, to do the kind thing. In fact, I close with this simple principle that's not mine. I didn't come up with it. I came across this 25 years ago. And I, I've shared this many different times over our history. And people, they'll take this and they'll write this on a rubber band, these, these letters. And they'll try to put it on a post-it note or a reminder to them of like, here's how we navigate our conversations in life. And it's the simple idea of think. And maybe you've seen think before. Maybe you've heard it here and it's being kind of reminded in this way or whatever else. But you just walk through think. So the first one is T. And what you ask yourself is, when I'm about to say something, is what I'm about to say true? Is it true? Is my perspective true? Or is it assumption? Is it speculation? Because that's easy to do. It's easy to not have all the facts and make a conclusion. And then from that, we're communicating from this place where it's not factual, it's just assumption, but it's going to create more wounds. So we go, is what I'm about to say true? Next, even if it's true, is it helpful? Is it helpful to the relationship? Is it going to be helpful to this person? Is it going to be helpful in moving forward? Because there's plenty of things that may be true, but aren't helpful. So we want to measure that. Third, is it inspiring them? Right? And is it going to be inspirational overall? Because again, it's really easy to go, well, it's inspiring to me. That's fine. But is it going to be inspiring to them? Is it going to be encouraging? Is it going to be building them up or just making us feel better? Here's a tough one. 
is it necessary? Is it necessary? Ellen, um, early on in her marriage, you know, I would do things that would bug her, which is a shock, right? Because you'd think I had it all figured out. Um, but I do things that would bug her. And rightly so, I do things that bug people, right? I'm good at that. And, and she would bring it up every time. And then she realized, like, wow, this is just kind of creating these kind of needless things at times. So now what she does is she says, when Matt does something that bugs me, I wait a day. And if it still bugs me the next day, then I talk to him. And I ask her, like, well, what's the fruit of that? And she goes, I don't have a lot of things to tell you. <laughs> like, not because I'm perfect, but because she's like, a lot of things can just slide. They're not necessary for me to bring those things up. So sometimes you don't have to say it. But then last, is it kind? Right? Is it going to nourish their soul? Is it going to build them up, even if there's something that's broken? Whatever I say, I need to do it in a spirit that is kind. Even though we're imperfect people, we realize, hey, we're dealing with imperfect people and the best way to be persuasive and compassionate and gracious is to be kind. And so I close with homework. And it depends on who you are, where the homework falls. For some of us, the homework is repent. And the word repent means to rethink. That's what it means. And maybe it's just like, you know, I gotta rethink my words. I gotta rethink my approach. I gotta rethink the way I say things and do things and the attitude I have. And I gotta maybe do some work on my heart. I need to repent. For others, maybe it's repair. You're sitting here this morning and you're like, I have not used my words well. I know I've created damage in the life of my spouse, my kids, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, whatever it is. And that was on me, right? Like, go and repair that thing. And maybe for others of us, it's replace. Where we have certain strategies, we have certain communication tactics and techniques that we know aren't good. We've got to replace those with other things. Or maybe it's just stuff in our heart. We need to replace hurt or bitterness or anger or whatever with healthier things. We need to do the homework to get to that space. I don't know your space. I know my space. I know I have plenty of, thing, of things to work on in this. And so all three of those are probably true to me. And so right now, I want to just give us some space. If you would bow your heads right now, close your eyes. And the space I want to give is, is kind of layered. I, I think for some in this room or some watching online, you're, you're like, man, I'm new to this whole faith thing. I'm new to this Christianity thing. I'm not a Christian. All of this stuff is making sense, though, in a bigger sense, too. Life is better with Jesus. That's making sense. If you want to start that relationship with Jesus today, it's as simple as you using your words in your heart, just silently there. You can be like, Jesus, I've gone my own way, done my own thing. I've been against you. I've crossed lines, missed marks. The Bible calls it sin. And I want life with you. And I want a life with you that is shaped by you so that I can be the me that you have made me to be. You make that your prayer and your way, he, he hears you. And if you make that your prayer, we want to hear you from you as well. And after we all open our eyes, you'll see a little thing on the screen that has a text number. You can text us and say, hey, I made that decision. Or there's a tile in our app and you can say, I made that decision. We just want to know. For the rest of this, this is my prayer for all of us. Jesus, that you will help us to be wise with our words. You will help us to let go of the hurt that we feel from words that have been said. You will help us to relinquish and repent of the words that we have said that's harmed others. And you will help us to be shaped to use words in a way that brings flourishing, beauty, life, and health to the world around us. We need your grace and your help to do this. We are imperfect, but you are perfect. Give us the strength and wisdom in your good name. Amen.